This is the West Virginia Soccer Association Beyond the Pitch podcast on the WVSA Digital Network. From the Sport Pens International Studios in Charleston, West Virginia, here's your host, Marcus Cole. Welcome to the podcast. We have another informative show for you. Before we welcome our guest, I want to remind you to like, subscribe, and share our program. Now, this helps us other helps us provide valuable information designed for soccer players, coaches, referees, and parents here on the WVSA Digital Network. With us is Dr. Amy Bender, Director of Clinical Sleep Science at Cerebra and our sleep expert. Dr. Bender, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me. It's so great to be here. I think I think this is my third time. I know you're not getting sick of me yet. No, not at all. Especially when you are bringing the, (laughs) when you're bringing the fire and giving us all some great uh, information to provide uh, to our youth soccer players. And we certainly appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. And today we're going to be obviously talking about sleep and we have uh, some uh, general questions that we want to talk about. We have some questions that have come in since the last time you were on the podcast. Uh, Just some various questions about sleep and performance and what we can do to achieve better sleep because we know if we sleep better we perform better out on the field so why don't we go ahead and dive right into it and um, you had something recently I believe it was on your Instagram and it talked about what soccer players can do better to uh, improve their sleep environment when they're staying at a hotel whether they're going to a tournament or maybe they're a, a college player that's going out of town for a match, so they're there the night before. Uh, talk to us about what soccer players can do to better that sleep environment when they stay in a hotel. Yes. Um, number one, I mean, I think being prepared ahead of time, bringing some supplies with you to the hotel so that you don't get stuck laying there with lights on from the microwave, the smoke alarm, the TV. And so one of the things uh, I bring with me is black electrical tape. And you can just turn off the lights and see where these light sources are coming from. So you take that black electrical tape, you tape it over the TV, the smoke detector light, the microwave, etc. And I'll even use towels, um, like a bath towel. A lot of times there's a a big crack in the door underneath the door. And so I block that light coming in from the hallway uh, with a towel. Also use a towel to cover up the alarm clock. Um, And then binder clips is also a good thing to have as well. So a lot of times there's that really annoying crack in the curtains and they can't quite shut all the way. I mean, there are the blackout blinds, which is nice, but you do have a bit of a gap there. So I always bring binder clips with me so that I can clip those um, curtains together. And then I would say having, oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Continue. Oh, then I would say it's really important to have a good pre-sleep routine, whether or not you're at home or on the road. You can do this pre-sleep routine in any location, and it's going to help prepare your mind and body for sleep. I love that last tip of the binder clips. That was always one of my pet peeves going to a hotel when we went to a swim meet with my son or we were going to uh, a tur- soccer tournament with my daughter was that, you know, I mean, they were nice and all. They had, you know, curtains, and then they had those blackout, but there was always – 
the gap and stuff. And I mean, those binder, I mean, those big binder clips could really do some, some great, uh, great, uh, uh, shutting out of the light from, from outdoors, from street lamps and, uh, stuff like that. That's a great idea. I love that. Um, you Absolutely. Know, yes. Um, and I was just going to say also, you know, having a mask, bringing that with you, having blue light blocking glasses to help uh, block out some of that nasty blue light uh, in the evening, a couple hours before bedtime, having a paper book as well. You know, all of these things can be helpful when you're sleeping on the road which can be challenging, you know, um, there is, we do find in the research that you do sleep differently uh, when you're in a new environment. And so there's this first night effect where your sleep is much different than if you had been sleeping in that location for multiple nights. You know, those blue light blockers, uh, my uh, daughter listened to the program the last time you were on, and we did talk in depth about that. She actually went out and bought a couple of pairs, and she's noticed how much her eyes feel better, and it has eliminated some headaches that she would get when she's, you know, sitting in her dorm room working on homework or she's playing video games or just watching TV or being on her phone. She has noticed such a dramatic difference in how she feels having those blue light glasses. That's great. And uh, one thing people want to look out for, so there is blue light blockers that are more of the clear. So you can find glasses that have this protective coating that blocks out some of the blue light from your computer screen during the day. Um, however, the blue light blocking glasses I'm talking about here are dark orange. They're dark red. And these are the glasses you want to wear. They're 99% blue light blocking and you want to wear them within two hours of your bedtime. So I think that's important for the listeners to understand is that there's multiple types of blue light blocking glasses. And the ones I'm talking about specifically as it relates to sleep, blocking out that blue light at night are those 99% orange um, type of glasses. And that's, we, we did research on that after we talked and, and you had mentioned that and uh, we, she went, she actually has a pair of the clear ones that she uses during the day. And then she has those at night before she goes to bed. So, I mean, it's worked oh, out. Perfect. I mean, it's worked out so great for her and she's uh, noticed a dramatic difference in her sleep and also to just physically of not, you know, maybe not, I don't want to say she had a headache all the time, but just, you know, just felt better. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, another thing that, uh, uh, now, of course, you know, us at West Virginia Soccer Association, we follow Dr. Bender on Twitter. We follow her on Instagram, always posting a lot of good stuff. Um, another thing that's been springing up recently, I don't know if I'm going to hit, hit a button with you on this. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 head, the headline is naps are bad. Um, why is this a misleading headline and what are your thoughts on naps for athletes? Oh, goodness. Yes, you did hit a button with me. I am I am the nap champ, and I always have that tagline, um, nap champ. But, um, yeah, you know, there was this study that came out, um, and the media kind of ran away with it, saying, you know, naps aren't, aren't good for you. They don't do much for you. But when you look at the study in detail, you see that, 
they did a 30-minute nap during the night as a substitute for a normal night's sleep, along with a 60-minute nap um, at night. And usually when we define naps, we define it as daytime sleep. So it was a bit, a bit misleading. And, you know, the conclusion was a 30-minute sleep, a 30-minute nap at night or a 60-minute nap at night does not improve your performance the following day. And I mean, that seems pretty obvious. You can't substitute an hour of sleep for the seven, eight, nine hours you should be getting as an adolescent. Um, so naps, in my opinion, are amazing for athletes. And it is a big opportunity because not a lot of athletes are napping. And so it's a way to make up for some of that lost sleep, you know, potentially across the week. Um, or if you're, for example, a swimmer, you have early morning, obviously that's not your audience, but maybe there's some early morning training going on, some early morning strength training, um, where a nap could be really beneficial to help make up for that lost nighttime sleep, but also it will help improve your performance, even if you are getting a good amount of nighttime sleep, adding in a 10, 15, 20 minute nap is going to make you perform better. It's going to make you more alert. It's going to boost your mood. So any chance you can get to kind of fit that in, whether that be, you know, um, maybe even right after school or right after practice, um, any chance you can get that in. The one thing you want to be aware of is you don't want it to impact your nighttime sleep. So, you know, you don't want to take a two-hour nap or a three-hour nap too close to bedtime. But if you keep that nap short, um, that will help you still be able to fall asleep at night. What's funny is, and I didn't discover this until as I got older, was that I always figured, oh, I need a good nap. I need a good two, three-hour nap. The the less that I napped as far as time-wise, I could take a 30 to 45-minute nap, and I feel so much better after than taking a two-hour nap crazy mm-hmm. yes you know it has something to do with the sleep stages um that you're getting and so if you keep the nap shorter you're likely not getting into the deeper stages of sleep where you're going to wake up feeling groggy you know just horrible and have it take you 60 to 90 minutes to actually you know be alert again so that's that's the key is you know if you do have a bit of a shorter opportunity to kind of limit it to, we generally say, under 30 minutes. Now, coming up, we have, uh, I think it's the first weekend of November, if I'm not mistaken, here in our part of the woods. Um, it's uh, daylight, uh, uh, daylight savings time goes away. So we had that in the spring where we lost an hour of sleep. Now we're going to be going back to standard time in November, and we're going to be gaining an hour of sleep. And I know some people, this really throws them off. What are some tips that you have for our youth players in better navigating that extra hour of sleep? Mm-hmm. Usually, yeah, usually the fallback is actually a lot more beneficial for people. And we see in the research that there's actually less heart attacks. I think it's the Tuesday after we fall back versus when we spring ahead and we lose an hour of sleep. So there are physiological impacts, uh, health impacts, and typically for teens, um, you know, getting that extra hour is is great for them. 
and, you know, not, not trying to compensate by going to bed later, you know, going to bed at your normal kind of standard time. And then the clock switch at two in the morning, and then you, you still have the benefit of getting that extra hour of sleep. Um, but yeah, in general, um, it's not as challenging the fall back as it is the spring forward. And this is, this is a topic of contention for me as well. Um, actually, in October, come October, they are having a special referendum here in Alberta to permanently change the clocks to daylight saving time, which is just not very good for our biology. And there are places in Alberta where the sun wouldn't rise in the winter until after 10 a.m. And, um, you know, and when you look at the height of the sun and where it should be at noon, we're talking about 1,200 miles east is where that would be occurring at noon in Alberta time. So, um, it is, it is an important topic for people to understand that standard time is the best time and to not have to switch the clocks is the ideal scenario. So the best thing is to be on permanent standard time and that's the best for our biology because of the fact that we need light in the morning to help set our circadian rhythms for the day. Yeah, I, I I would have to agree with you on that. I mean, I don't know all the research behind it, but I, I know that the daylight savings time was created for a specific pers- purpose a long time ago, and I think we've kind of outgrown uh, that purpose of what it was originally intended for, and I think, you know, not having a change might be a, might be a better way to go. Now, you know, we, we, we talk about sleep and how it affects your performance and stuff. And there are some people out there that suffer from sleeping disorders. Um, can you talk to us? We had a question that came in and someone was asking, you know, sometimes I don't sleep well. Sometimes I have problems sleeping. Sometimes I sleep really well. How do I know if I have a sleeping disorder? What are some things that folks can look for? Mm-hmm. I think number one, um, if you're snoring, if you're someone is noticing you stop breathing during the night, that could be uh, an underlying obstructive sleep apnea sleep disorder. Um, so that's something to look out for. If you're very tired during the day, you're needing lots of caffeine to get through, even you know around let's say 10, 11 a.m. you feel like you could take a nap. You know that's not usually the time where our circadian rhythm would dip. So it's likely there might be an underlying sleep disorder going on. Um, and for the athletes out there, actually, I helped develop the athlete sleep screening questionnaire, which is available on the centerforsleep.com website. So athletes can go to that website, fill out the form, and then get individualized recommendations on how to improve their sleep but also be able to get flagged for when they may need to see a sleep professional. We'll make sure to uh, link to that uh, questionnaire uh, in our show notes here uh, on our, our YouTube channel and also our podcast channels. We'll make sure to do that. So folks will be able to check that out. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Amy Bender, Director of Clinical Sleep Science at Cerebra. Um, I had another question that came in, and they wanted to know, if you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't go back to sleep, what are some things that you should do and things that you shouldn't do? 
Very nice. This actually happened to me last night. My uh, four-year-old came in and um, came into my bed and was just kind of thrashing around and woke me up and uh, I couldn't go back to sleep. So for me, I have a middle-of-the-night routine. Um, So the first thing I'll do is start with a breathing technique. And I guess the important point here is that you're breathing out longer than you're breathing in. And so if you're breathing out longer than you're breathing in, you're activating that relaxation system, that parasympathetic nervous system. And so breathing techniques you could do would be, for example, a snake breathing where you breathe in and then hiss out. And so you're breathing out longer than you're breathing in. That's one. Another breathing technique would be the 478 breathing technique. So you breathe in for four seconds, hold your breath for seven seconds, and breathe out for eight seconds. And you're, again, breathing out longer than you're breathing in. Um, And so having a breathing technique on hand is something you could try to help relax you during the night. But also having a cognitive technique. So there's a technique called the cognitive shuffle where you think of a word such as bedtime. I don't know if I've told you this before or not. I probably have because I pretty much tell everyone about this. Um, but you think of a word such as bedtime. You imagine all the objects you can, starting with that first letter, ball, baby, bag, banana. Move on to the next letter, E, eagle, egg, ear. And by the time you get to the end of the word, you, you'll be sound asleep. And I actually use this technique with my kids as well. And, you know, they're, they're younger, so they're not good spellers yet. But uh, I, I tell them to pick a color and then just imagine all the objects they can that is that color. Um, so that's something to include in your middle-of-the-night routine. And then it's important that if you haven't fallen asleep and you don't want to look at the clock, but if it's been around 20 minutes, You don't want to just lay in bed because then you'll start to associate your bed with being awake. And so I do that breathing technique. I'll do that cognitive technique. And then around that's been around 15 minutes. If I'm still awake, I will get up out of bed, do do a relaxing activity, and only return back to bed when I'm tired. So that's really important for people to know. You know, sometimes you just can't go back to sleep. So the best thing to do is just get up out of bed maybe do a little light reading and low light, um, take a bath, you know, do a relaxing activity and then only return back to bed when you're tired. And so for me, I think I woke up around two 30 last night, um, you know, did my little routine, couldn't go back to bed. And then I only returned back to bed, you know, two, two hours later, three hours later when I felt sleepy again and I was able to fall asleep again just before my alarm, um, woke me up. I like that uh, uh, cognitive thing with the, the kids if they're not great spellers, but think of things that are red. <laughs> I, I'm sitting there, I'm going, oh my gosh, that's genius. <laughs> you know, because you're sitting there thinking fire truck, ball, uh, Ohio State, you know, I mean, you're thinking of all these different Even, things that yeah. are associated yeah. with red and then with yellow and uh, I, that's great. Yeah, even, you know, even like, um even a chair, like you can imagine a red chair or a red shirt, you know, it doesn't have to be like a Santa Claus suit or anything like that. It right. can be a ball, like you said. 
That's awesome. I love it. All right, Dr. Bender, as we kind of wrap things up here on the podcast, I got one more question for you. Somebody was asking, um, you've talked before about this, about having uh, good sleep hygiene. When you say sleep hygiene, what are you specifically talking about? Give us some tips. Yes, sleep hygiene is kind of related to our habits, the things we're doing during the day that could impact our sleep at night. So, um, you know, limiting caffeine intake, not past noon, for example, is a sleep hygiene technique for the, for the parents out there, you know, not drinking alcohol right before bedtime, which helps you fall asleep quickly, but um, wakes you up more during the middle of the night. Making sure you're getting good exercise, which the soccer, the soccer players out there probably have no issue with uh, right now, but that'll improve sleep quality. And then... Um, Controlling that light exposure, you know, getting lots of light in the morning, which helps set our circadian rhythm for the day. It keeps us more alert, um, but also limiting that light exposure at night. So putting away those electronic devices an hour before bedtime, dimming the lights, you know, preparing for bedtime, not just trying to kind of hit the pillow and expect to fall asleep instantly, really trying to prepare your mind and body for sleep. Wonderful. Great tips. Great advice. Dr. Bender, uh, Director of Clinical Sleep Science at Cerebra, thank you so much for coming back on the program and talking to us about sleep and our athletes. We appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening to our podcast. We really, really appreciate it. Now, make sure you like, subscribe, and share our program here on the WVSA Digital Network. Thank you for listening to the West Virginia Soccer Association Beyond the Pitch podcast. You can catch a brand new episode every Thursday morning here on the WVSA Digital Network or find us on our social media platforms at WV Soccer. Copyright 2021. All rights reserved.